I'm not the through line of this school district. I'm here to be the superintendent and, and make decisions for the years that I'm here. And the teachers and support staff and communities that are here, they're the through line. You know, if they hire, if we hire a brand new teacher, they're probably going to be here for 35 years before they retire. Same with, you know, cafeteria workers and bus drivers. Some, a lot of the people that were, are here are going to way outlive me. They're the true through line of the organization. No time, no tools, big expectations. How do you transform school culture without derailing the train? Answer, little wins that bring big changes. The flywheel effect, harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself. Hello and welcome. My name is Jordan Pruitt and I'm here with my co-host Anna Murphy. We are both former educators now working with the live school team to support your school's culture vision. Our show focuses on all the opportunities for little wins that can create big changes in school culture. The Flywheel Effect is all about sharing stories of admin, school support staff, and other educational change agents that have succeeded in their initial lifts and have created cultures that have so much momentum they grow and improve exponentially. Uh, today, we're joined by Dr. Nick Poliak, who is the superintendent of Bladen High School, District 212 in Franklin Park, Illinois. Uh, Nick's also an accomplished author on leadership and student voice. And Nick, we're really glad you're here with us today. And I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself, tell us about how your summer's going, what you've been working on. Um, send it over to you, man. Sure. Thanks so much, Jordan. Uh, pleasure to be here. The, uh, the summer, I think, is already over. School starts back in two weeks. And so uh, I think it's officially over. But I had a good summer. Got a little bit of time away with my family. My wife and I have four children, uh, one in college and three in high school. So got to do some things with them. I'm actually leaving Saturday for a mission trip to um, the Dominican Republic to go work at a school for a week. And then when we come back, school starts a few days later. Uh, but I am the superintendent here at Leiden. Uh, we are in suburban Chicago, right outside O'Hare International Airport. Very, very cool, very diverse, uh, wonderful school district. We serve about 3,500 high school kids in, in seven communities that wrap right around the airport. So. Pleasure to be here today. Very cool. Um, kind of the back to school question before we jump into our questions, because you, uh, you mentioned back to school. I'm curious because I'm always interested in like the, the transition back for the for staff and teachers and, and students. Like right, what's that look like for, for you folks? There's plenty of things going on already. We have all of our new teachers coming in for three days next week to get onboarded and learn some of the systems. Some of our new administrators are doing the same. but on the 11th and 12th, we have our opening institute days. So on the 11th, that Thursday, our building teams are going to meet and spend a day preparing for the school year, give the teachers some time to get in their classrooms and get all set up. And then on Friday, we have our institute for the, for the district. And so I'll kick us off in the morning and then um, kind of take us through that day together. Well, you've got a busy couple of weeks ahead of you. We, we thank you for coming on with us. Um, we'll kind of jump into our first... Uh, segment here, and we call it uh, "Be a Change Maker" because it's it's more focused on the people who create the change than the changes themselves. The first part. Um, so, like a lot of our listeners are, they, if they're not already leaders, they're aspiring leaders, and they're trying to figure out how do I become that person who can make change happen. Um, and so, in this segment, we get a couple of career lifestyle questions. So, we're talking about a lot about your background. Uh, I think that's always fascinating talking about, particularly someone who's been a superintendent in a, in a large district like you are. Uh, where did they start? You know, a lot of times, well, you know. 
with the early teaching career, that stuff's really interesting, I think, to a lot of folks. So our first question is, how did your career begin and how did that experience shape leadership style now? I would say um, my career began probably well before I was actually a teacher. I had a, a high school teacher. His name was Father Ray Foster. I went to Joliet Catholic High School in, in Illinois. And Father Ray watched out for me. He brought a passion as a physics teacher. I never wanted to teach physics, but I thought this guy loves what he does. He loves being here every day. It was kind of my inspiration for going into education. And so uh, after college, I became a high school math teacher and uh, taught geometry and algebra. I was a coach. I coached soccer and tennis back in the day. And I happened to be in a school district that was growing very rapidly. Uh, lots of homes being built, building new schools. And so there were all kinds of leadership opportunities that presented themselves. And so within the first 10 years of my career, I was a teacher, a coach, I was a dean, I was a building administrator, a, a district administrator, and actually a local school board member. And so all within the first 10 years of my career, I, I had all those opportunities. And so that's what that's what kicked me off um, the beginning of my career. Well, it's interesting. I was on the phone with an art teacher this morning who's just looking to grow in her career in education. And I was talking about finding those opportunities to kind of raise your hand and volunteer for some of those projects. And clearly you did a lot of that. And I guess I was wondering if you had advice on, because there's so much you can say yes to. So on navigating what to, what to take on, how to also maintain some balance. Like how did you decide what you were going to volunteer for to really grow your career as a leader? Yeah, thanks, Anna. I, I think at that point in my life, I was of the mindset that I just wanted to collect as many opportunities and create as many relationships as I possibly could. And so um, it was um, it was hard because my wife and I were starting a family. So obviously I need time with her. I need time with my kids, my friends, my you know larger family, but also trying to do all these things at work. Um, I think the school board piece was a really fascinating part of my story. Um, the town that I lived in, I worked in the high school district. In Illinois, we have elementary school districts and high school districts that are separate. So I worked in the high school district, but I lived in one of the elementaries. There was a board member who became mayor and vacated the seat. And so I just submitted a resume and got picked to be there. And the reason I tell you that story is because if I fast forward to my first superintendency, so that was 14 years ago now. I um, I'd been on the job for six months and my board gave me a new contract, extended my three year out to a five year. And I went out to have a drink with the school board president. And I said, all right, Jim, I got a question. I'm like, why in the world did you guys hire me? I was 30 years old. I had no superintendent experience. What were you guys thinking that you, that you put me in this job? And he said, Nick, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, when we were reviewing resumes, you were in the no pile. We weren't going to interview you. And it was because I was a high school guy and this was a unit district. What's this guy going to know about elementary kids and kindergarten curriculum and, and things? And one of the board members, God bless her, uh, was a retired teacher, education professor at Bradley University, picked up my resume and said, well, this guy was an elementary school board member. Maybe we should meet him and literally picked me up from the no pile and put me in the let's interview pile. And so that one random experience where I said, I'll be a school board member, put my application in, is maybe the only reason I got my first superintendency. So 
you know, go get experiences and build relationships wherever you can. That the um, you know kind of the the trials and, and paths of how folks ended up in leadership positions. And it's always I feel like you can almost always chase it back to a decision at some point that it made a connection. It gave you the opportunity. So that that's a that's a big thing to me too. Um, but a lot of that was like super interesting. The um, I, I just like uh, in Chicago and like it, is it Illinois or just Chicago? It goes K through eight and then high school. Is that that just Chicago? No, it's all over the state. We have a mixture. There are some communities that have unit districts that are pre-K through 12. But, you know, at Leiden, for example, we are the high school district, and there are seven different elementary school districts who send their kids to high school here. Very cool. That's also things I'm I'm learning, too, because I'm I'm from Lexington, Kentucky. And in in Kentucky, there's a bunch of different, like, ways it's set up and and things. You got some junior highs, you got intermediate schools, and they always don't have that. Sometimes it's elementary, middle, high, but usually it's like the same district. Um, but I'm finding as we've interviewed folks from around the country, like it's, it's set up a little different in all the places. And it, you know, we're all kind of working towards the same thing. It's interesting, like the how it's organized different places. That stuff's all fascinating to me. Um, a common thread of folks who are going into leadership and, and things that I'm finding as we go, go through, I myself, I, I was a coach to start too. Um, so I kind of, I, I lean on coaching a lot as things that got me in education and things where I was able to develop some leadership skills. But that's a common thread amongst, amongst folks who are leaders in education. You, you, you coached at some point or you led a program of something early. You know, so I, I think that's something that's that kind of a, a through thread here. The, um, the second question I wanted to ask you, so based on your experiences, you touched on a lot of them, and including school board member, which is something we don't get to hear a lot because that, that's really interesting. Um, so you've been in a lot of schools, you've been in several districts, um, you've talked to a lot of educators. What stands out as a positive indicator of school culture to you? So like when you when you see this or you hear it, you're like, oh, that place has a good school culture. Um, I gave I gave a, a kind of an interesting like local um, example the other day. It <clears throat> had to do like when you go to like sporting events or or plays or concerts or something after school. What's the crowd like there? Is like is there a community that kind of is with the school here, like where I'm at, like that's kind of a big indicator. Like things are going well. If like the communities around those kind of things. Um, and then another, another one said it was kind of a kind of vibe, a feel, that kind of thing. What, what stands out as you? Well, there definitely a couple of things I would, I would talk about. One, I would say really positive places have great inertia and continuity in, in leadership and programming places that are trading people in and out and programs in and out all the time always stumble. So like the, the crazy statistic I always share with people is that I am the fifth superintendent of my school district since 1952. You know, and that can always kind of watch people's face realize what that means when they do the math on it. Um, we've also only had two school board presidents here since 1980. And so when you've got that organizational inertia and that trust that builds over time of working together on things, you can do anything, but if you're constantly changing people in and out, you never, it just starts and stops. You never do anything truly impactful. And so, you know, I, I would say like, that's a hallmark. And I would say, if you go to a place and you can find less competition and more collaboration, that's an indicator. I've been in places where, you know, they put the test scores up 
and they rank the teachers as to whose kids scored the best. And if, if that's the culture you create, where you're competing against your peers, there's no reason for you to share resources to help one another, because all you're going to do is make them potentially better than you. But if you can clear that noise out and really build a culture based on collaboration with one another, um, the kids are going to win. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The, that's that's also another through thread is the more that um, it's at the teacher level and the administrator level too, the more that we can find collaboration opportunities, the better. Um, I've seen some, some bigger districts do like cohorts on specific things where they can share ideas between schools where normally those schools would, would be competing for things and, and maybe for, maybe for nobody's benefit in some cases, like you were saying, um, what, um, I don't know if you're a football fan, but I see a football shirt. Um, I'm not a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, but like when you said the thing about the superintendents, my immediate thought was like, they're the Pittsburgh Steelers of, 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 of schools. Like they, cause the Steelers have had like four coaches in their entire existence. So, which kind of speaks to a strong organization, which they are. And you guys obviously are. Well, and it's funny you should mention that because actually we, my buddies and I, we write about that a little bit. Um, not about the longevity of coaches, but when you have coaches somewhere for a long time, they start to kick off a coaching tree. You know, you'll talk about which coaches are on the Belichick coaching tree or the Andy Reid coaching tree. And I've been a superintendent for 14 years now. And so when the board hired me um, here at Leiden, I said, hey, I, here's the good news. I can be your superintendent for the next 20 years. And that's awesome. And that's what I want to do if that's what you want. I said, but I'm also a blocker of upward mobility in the organization as I sit there. So if there are people here that have aspirations to be a superintendent, I'm in the way. So we're going to have to help people find opportunities. And that's going to mean that some folks are going to leave. And that's an okay outcome for us as we go forward. And so you know, now it's kind of fun for me to look around the state and see some people in leadership roles that I used to work with. And I, I don't know, I could hope that I positively impacted them in some way, but we consider that like a superintendent coaching tree. That I, I think that is a, a big indicator of leadership style and like really like be, building up your people. Um, I was part of a school that um, we, we opened the school, like we started. And that staff that like was hired on as teachers that that, that first year, Within three to four years, like about, I think, eight of us had, had moved on to leadership roles in different places. And that just, it just spoke to our, our principal. Like, he really gave us opportunities. He gave us, you know, chances to go, go up to bat and those kind of things. Um, cause we did a lot of PD in house. Like, teachers got a chance to, to speak in front of their peers. I thought that was a big deal. Um, but, you know, you know, giving your people a chance to go bat and then support them when they do. I think that's a big deal. It's a good indicator of a, of a strong culture. I think that's a good point. Um, the last question that's in the like kind of the career pile, when you're talking to these folks who are, they're obviously talented, they're obviously bright, um, and <clears throat> they're, they're in education, what, if, if they're going to make, make an impact, if, if, what is the biggest rock that needs to be lifted? What, you know, where, where would you point them? Like, all right, we, we need you working on this. Hmm, boy. Uh, so 14 years as superintendent, 24 years in education so far. Um, where we are right now, we have heavy equity work to do across our school systems. Um, and a friend of mine, a colleague in Illinois, I was presenting with once, and the way he said it really stuck with me. Um, he said, we need to stop building our schools out of bricks and mortar and start building them out of mirrors. 
so that when our kids walk through the hallways, they see themselves reflected in everything we do, in the curriculum, in the celebrations, in the staffing. Every kid that comes in our schools should be able to look around and say, hey, this place was built for me, not this place was built for somebody else and I just happened to be here. And so that's a really, really tall order in terms of work that needs to get done. It takes all of us really looking internally at ourselves and our you know, our internal biases and the things that we bring to the table. Um, it was life-changing for me when I came to this district 10 years ago because uh, you know, I'm, I'm currently the white male superintendent of a 70% Latinx community. You know, and my white students, which are 29%, speak over 30 languages because they're first and second generation Eastern European families from that have flown into O'Hare and just settled. And so, you know, I, I got to challenge myself all the time. How can I be the appropriate leader for this community when my lived experiences are so different than theirs? And so if I don't challenge myself and figure out how I need to grow to best meet their needs, I, it's never going to work. I'm never going to be as effective as they need me to be. So I mean, equity has a lot of definitions for people, but I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll leave it at there that I think we all need to dig into the equity work in our districts. That, you know, the concept of this is a place that was, it was built for me. That's a big deal for, for our kids and finding something they can be involved in or like see themselves in that place that, that builds that community. That, that's a, that's a big deal. And the second thing I would say, uh, about what you said there, because it reminds me of somebody we interviewed the other day, and they were talking about, and <clears throat> not not to discourage folks from decorating the rooms and those kind of things. That that's that's fun. It's just part of teaching those kind of things. But he said, think about when you're decorating your rooms. Of and he talked about specifically like you know uh, K through eight, some younger teachers' rooms uh, or younger levels' rooms. Think about postpone that a little bit until you got kids in the room and let them help so they can make it their space too. He, he had that idea of it being a shared space, which is kind of your, your mirror idea. Um, and that, that's, I think if, if we're looking at equity, those are the things, those are the, are the little blocks we can move for that. Um, go ahead, Anna. Well, no, I, um, that idea of equity is that that was my experience when I taught, I worked with primarily English language learners Um uh, primarily from the Middle East and North Africa, immigrants and refugees. And I, I guess I just wanted to dive into, I know you talk a lot about student voice then, right? And like maybe getting some tangible examples of how you bring that then to Leiden and what that looks like in practice. Yeah, I'll give you one kind of hallmark example is six years ago, I had a conversation with our school board and said, we really believe in student voice. We talk about it a lot here. And if that's true, Let's, let's really put our money where our mouth is. And um, we, we started selecting two students to sit on the school board every year. We have two high schools here. So we have seven elected adults who are the school board. And now we have two students every year that represent the student constituency. They sit at the same table. They get all the same emails and written communications from me. They go to the state conference. They go to regional dinners. And they're in every conversation. And so... You know, when we're trying to make heavy decisions and we, the board, my board lives by a motto, what's best for the kids? I said, if that's the case, then turn and ask the kids, what should we be doing? And so, you know, we, we put that in place. And shortly thereafter, we were having a conversation about getting rid of valedictorian, salutatorian and class rank, which can be a pretty highly charged conversation. 
in a lot of communities that are used to that kind of historical piece. And my board turned to the students and said, well, what do you think? And they said, my friends and I, we pick classes based on what's going to get us the highest GPA. So we don't often take the classes we want to take. We know the ones that we can take, they're going to maximize the numbers. And so, you know, we think this would be a positive change because kids could take what they want to take if you remove that. And my school board, uh, one of the adults looked at me and said, why haven't we been doing this for years? You know, and we, we laugh about it now that nobody built these buildings for so adults could have a place to go and work. These buildings were built for the kids and for the communities. So why aren't we engaging them in leadership and, and partnership? That, that's incredibly good insight that you wouldn't get any other way. Like, otherwise, you're just kind of guessing at what, what would be good. Um, and it's, it, it feels like it's such a simple thing, but like, I don't think it happens all over. Um, what, my, my only like real takeaway or like add on to that is when I was a PBS coach, we, you're, you're always encouraged if you're running a, a PBS team and I, I like, I started the program, but you're, you need a student representative on that for those reasons. And I was, I was really big on, well, cause it's a behavior program. I, I wanted to. I wanted somebody on that team who wouldn't normally get picked for those, those kind of things, you know? So I had somebody who had, he had a, a lot of behavior history and like, he had such good insights um, on like how this is going to affect his day to day. Cause he's like, I've run into these kind of things all the time. Like that would motivate me. That wouldn't like, he was, it was really helpful. And it was just, it, it was just a matter of asking him to be there. And it, it was really a big deal. Um, go ahead. Anna. Yeah. I was going to add, I mean, it reminded me of a conversation we were having with, uh, Paul Kennedy, who runs a school in Philadelphia. And he was saying when they were building up their behavior program, they brought it to students. I mean, after six months, like how were they feeling about it? Students didn't want the negative behavior points. They said it was really demotivating to them. So they got rid of that. Right. And so it's again, like giving that student voice in there. I remember when I was setting classroom expectations, going to my students to be like, what do we want the expectations of this classroom to be so that we all hold each other accountable for them too. I just think there's so much power in opening those conversations to students. Hey guys, this is Jordan from Life School. And today I want to tell you about the Dulles School of Excellence. They're one of our partners from Chicago, Illinois. In 2021, they set out to improve behavior in their school and improve their school culture. And Larry Williams, who's their culture and climate coordinator, decided to go out setting up a PBS and SEL program. It was important to him that it was measurable, it was easy to manage, and it was compliant with state privacy laws. He succeeded in that in a big way. Dulles had 100% adoption among teachers, 500,000 points earned by students last year. They had a 12 to 1 positive to negative point ratio. That's over 35,000 positive behavior in SEL interactions logged. Cool thing about that is you could do it too. They did it with live school. If you want to find out how, check us out at whyliveschool.com. Uh, our last segment here we call Move the Flywheel. This is where we really talk about the small changes that can have big results. So the small lists, when they're done correctly, they, they, they exponentially move bigger rocks down the hill. Um, can you share one story of a small change you led or observed or that was deliberately intended to change culture of a school or even a district? Let me frame this a little bit first, Jordan. You used a phrase earlier, like through lines that you see. Um, if I think about this, this school district, you know, organizationally, I just kind of come to work every day and hope nobody figures out I don't know what I'm doing. I guess how long can I maintain that? But like, I'm not the through line of this school district. I'm here to be the superintendent and, and make decisions 
for the years that I'm here. And the teachers and support staff and communities that are here, they're the through line. You know, if they hire, if we hire a brand new teacher, they're probably going to be here for 35 years before they retire. Same with, you know, cafeteria workers and bus drivers. So a lot of the people that were, are here are going to way outlive me. They're the true through line of the organization. And so, you know, in what ways can we activate those stakeholders? So like a, a specific thing I can say that I did that I'm proud of was an empowerment of a group of teachers. We, um, a number of years ago, we put this opportunity out and we were creating this group that we called the Innovation Incubator. It was a completely made up idea. And we said, who wants to be involved in this? And we had a group of teachers that raised their hand. And we said, if you do this, we're going to excuse you from some of your PLC meetings on Wednesday mornings. And you can meet together. And your calling, your charge is to dream big. What can we do here? What do you, what do you want to try? We'll give you resources. And if you want to scale it up or if we want to throw it out and try something different, go just go dream big. And so we let this group of teachers start cranking. And after about two years, what they finally came back to us with is this program that we call CoLab, the Leiden Collaborative. And it is a completely brand new way to do freshman year. It is interdisciplinary. It is project-based. It is standards-based grading. There's earned honors credits within it. So any kid can earn the highest levels. It is a, um, it's a way for, it's about 120 kids per high school, a group of six teachers, and there's no bells. They're learning all of their curricular content but in an interdisciplinary format. And it's been wildly successful. You know, the, the sophomore teachers are looking at these kids and going, who are these kids? You know, the confidence they're bringing, the collaboration skills, public speaking, um, community involvement and engagement. And so it's this super cool thing. And I'll bring people in to look at it. And they'll say, how did you ever get the buy-in for this program? And I'm like, no, no, I was the buy-in. The teachers create, we gave the teachers the leverage to go create this. And I'm just the one that put the rubber stamp on it and said, keep going. And so, you know, I think there's a, a story in there about empowering and trusting others and then coming alongside them for what we need to do. Because it's an awesome program for our kids and community, but it's successful because the people that are in it are so passionate about it because their blood, sweat and tears are in the makeup of it. So that, that reminded me like almost like it's almost like you had your own like R&D department at the school, which is incredible. Um, and there's a few things about that that really stood really stand out because I was a, a ninth grade teacher for a long time. And I, I worked in like freshman academies and that transition year from eighth grade, no matter if they're middle school or whatever they were coming into, that ninth grade year is really important because um, it, it really sets them on, on, a, on a path. They, they, they mature during that year. Um, it, it has a lot to do with their graduation, whether, how well they do, how, what, where they're going to be able to go afterwards, all those things. That ninth grade year is pretty, pretty like crucial for their, for their development as, as a student. Um, and it's also like a really tough time for them personally. Usually. So like having a, a good plan for that is a big deal. But what kind of I, I was thinking of when you were telling me that, like, because I'm, I'm like an, an idea guy. I like, I like going to tinker on things, I like trying to make things better. Like that's the kind of deal. If you would have came to me and I was like one of your teachers, I would have loved that. Because it would have, it would have kept me excited about coming every day because I was working on something that that had a chance to blossom into something cool. So like that's probably been, you know, you guys are seeing a lot of um, you know uh, success for for your students there for sure. But I would I'm I'm going to eliminate the the teachers that worked on that 
the culture amongst them probably was incredible because that was like you said, it was their blood, sweat, and tears that went into it. So that's awesome. Love it. The the follow up question to that, um, and this is more of a like how to um, how to steer people away from from pitfalls kind of question. Can you think of a, a time whenever there was deliberate change that didn't work? If it makes sense, I'll use the exact same example because I can point to all the successes, but there are some things we definitely should have done differently, could have done differently. Um, when we rolled this out, um, one of the things we wanted to do was give the teachers that are in that program enough time to collaborate with one another because they were building something from nothing. And so we we reduced their total teaching load by a period and gave them an extra prep so that they could be together and collaborate and kind of build this as they build the airplane as they were flying it kind of idea. Um, that didn't sit well with some of their colleagues. You know, and so... Um, some people were not happy about that. Not everybody. Some people questioned the curriculum and said, well, wait a minute. You know, Jordan, if you're going to be teaching these kids their English and their science and their social studies and their PE and their digital literacy all at the same time, there's no way they're going to get the same content as if they sat in my regular biology class or my regular English class. And so, you know, are we, are we doing more harm than good to these kids? And it, it, this group of teachers who was super excited and passionate about this also found themselves on a bit of an island because they were getting special treatment and um, getting to do things that nobody else got to do. Now, granted, they're the ones that raised, anybody could have raised their hands and been part of this. But I've had to kind of reflect on that to say, how could we have done more to build general buy-in around them and not left them hanging out to dry quite so much, if that makes sense. And what would you have done to build more of that buy-in then? I'm curious. I think we could have done a couple things. We could have done some presentations and updates along the way for more people to see what they were building. Uh, it was just, it was almost like it was happening in secrecy because if, you know, if we're all in the same department and all of a sudden I'm not at our meetings, our weekly meetings anymore, because I'm over on this team doing something completely different, you have no idea where I, where I am and what I'm talking about. And so there is a level of transparency I think we missed with everybody. The end result was awesome. The product was super cool. But I think we should have been more transparent and, and brought everyone along with us on that journey. Yeah, the, uh, the the like planning minutes are, can be currency in a school. <laughs> Those can be a big deal. Um, that was I, the transparency piece. I found that, um, and, and I, don't, I don't have that big big a scale comparison, but I do like I, like I was kind of a behavior specialist. I found that whenever I presented behavior data to like to to my staff to the faculty, all the initiatives I was trying to do that all went so much better because it was. It was transparent, the results and what was happening as it was happening. I could show them, all right, here's what we've been doing. Here's what happened since that happened. And here's what we what happened before. Um, so like, just like you said, transparency might help. But like, like you said, um, it, it took them time to do it. And, you know, that, that that's, that's kind of part of the nature of being in school. Was those, those planning time are they're valuable. The last question on in, in this segment here is we don't want to take up too much of your time today. Um what and you can talk about any role you've been in, uh, or you know, think about any anything you'd like to here and spin it how you want. 
Uh, what advice would you give educators who are trying to find ways to improve culture in a way? And this this goes back to what you were saying about how a lot of those folks are going to outlast your your tenure in your district. How can things be scaled and sustained? And really think about from their current role, how can it impact folks outside of that? So, like, if they're a classroom teacher, how can they impact their building? If they're a principal, how do they impact their district? Or if you're at, at superintendent level, how do you impact the state? And and those changes last after. There's a lot of directions that looking at this question, a lot of directions I wanted to take it. And, um, you know, my, I, I collaborate with my buddies, you know, we're talking about writing books. I never thought I would write books, but uh, PJ Capozzi and Mike Lubelfeld and I have gotten to do these writing projects together, which then means we also get to go and present and work with leadership development. And we, we teach groups of aspiring superintendents across the state and across the country, trying to build the next generation. Um, but I, I want to, I think where I want to go with it is bring it back local. When I started here, the very first time I stood in front of my staff, I said, I want you to know something about me. I'm very passionate about community service. I don't believe in requiring community service, but I believe in creating those opportunities for our kids so that our community is better because we exist. You know, that, that there should be a value add to the community because our schools are here. We have an army here of 3,500 students and 600 adults. Imagine the good we can do if we just funnel it towards what we want to do. And so, We've uh, one of the things we did is um, this is like the cool thing you get to do if you're a superintendent is I went to my school board and said, hey, let's talk about resource allocation. I'd love to create some global service trips where we can take our kids to other countries and let them go do these cool things. Something I'm passionate about, and I think it would be cool for our kids to go experience this. So long and short, our school board commits a quarter million dollars a year to support global service from our students. The kids still have to pay $500 to go on these trips, and they may be building a school or building a house. They might be working at an orphanage or a hospital in another country, but they got to pay $500 to go. But anybody can raise that. And so we created this kind of, you know, that that's my flywheel now is that is the, these trips are happening every year. And now younger siblings are wanting to go because their brother or sister went. And, um, and we're expanding horizons and giving kids opportunities they wouldn't have had otherwise. So the, the last piece of that is once we got this going for a few years, I took this model to our state superintendent organization and I said, hey, would you let me create one of these statewide? And so we created a global service trip for Illinois superintendents and school board members. And we went for the first time last year in October to the Dominican Republic. But I said, the rule is if you want to go, I, I got some companies to donate money. And if you want to go, it's going to cost you five hundred dollars but you have to bring a school board member with you. So you got to go as a superintendent and school board member team on this trip with the intention that they're going to come and experience this and say, how do we not do this for our school community? How do we not create this opportunity for our kids? And if the superintendent's in it and a school board member says, yep, I buy in too, let's make it happen. We already have school districts across the state who have now sent kids on these kind of trips because they went as leaders last year. We're going to go again this coming October for our second trip. But for me, you know, a localized passion about community service taken to the state, national, international level is something I'm, I'm really, really proud of. And it sounds like you, you should be really proud. Of. That's an incredible program. Um, the the opportunity for kids and, and $500 is it's, it's significant for a lot of families, but you could raise that. Like you said, you could get that sponsored by someone like 
that being able to make it that that low cost for your students, open it up to your whole your whole student body, which is a big deal. Um, and that's those experiences they're going to take for forever. Like you said, it, it lasts after they, they, they leave. Um, and the, the, I love the idea of getting a, a school board member to go with the super because then they can make it happen back back where they are. And it, they'll take it back well. That's I, I kind of want to. I want to send some folks from Kentucky to this now. So next time you go, we'll, we'll, we'll chip in. Um, go, go ahead, Anna. Well, and I was just going to wonder. I mean, you mentioned too, like this, the district that you're in. It's primarily. Um, it it sounds like uh, English language learners who are first or second generation, and now they're getting to go serve. Like, what? I mean, how is that shaped? the student body, right? And informed like their, I mean, their perspective of who they are in the world. I'm, I'm really just curious about the impact this has had on students because this isn't necessarily the type of program that would typically exist in this type of district, right? Like you picture this in like a, um, a expensive private school from like California maybe or something like this. So I'm, I'm, I'm really curious how this has impacted just the student community there. Yeah, I, I mean, just to give you a little background, I, I'm looking out my window right now and I can see uh, whether you want to call it the Sears Tower or the Willis Tower in downtown Chicago. I can see it out my window. It would take me about a half hour to drive there. Many of our students have never been to downtown Chicago, let alone another country. You know, so our median home income here is about $55,000 a year. So we are a unique school district in that we serve a majority low income population but we have a very strong financial tax base here because of our proximity to the airport. We're a major um, manufacturing corridor in the country. And um, we've got planes, trains, and automobiles here and all the distribution and things. So we have, we're resource rich. And so we can do those kind of things. Um, I will say too, you know, I, we send maybe 80 to hundred kids a year on these kind of trips of our 3,500, in order to be eligible, those kids are in our high school service organizations having to log hours of service locally to qualify to go on the trips. So it's not just like anybody can go. You have to kind of earn it through your local efforts to show that you can go on the on the global trip. But um, I think if I tried to take it away, I'd have some problems. Like that's the, that's the indication that we're doing the right things is that once it's in place, I couldn't possibly take it back. That um, I mean, a smaller scale, and you know, probably the only thing I can compare that kind of commitment to um, would be that the school when we that we opened a few years ago. One of the commitments that was made when we opened was every freshman was going to get a visit to a college campus. That was going to be a thing. Um, it wasn't always going to be the same college. We were going to go around the state, but like they were going to get, you know, boots on the ground. They were going to visit a college, um, and a lot of that's from. And my wife's an elementary teacher, and she you know she teaches uh, fourth and fifth graders, and and we're in Lexington and she'll talk to kids and, you know, say, well, we're going to the UK game this Saturday and they've never been to Kroger field and it's less than a mile away. You know, so like them, them stepping foot on a campus is actually is a big deal. And when COVID hit, that kind of went away because we couldn't do that. And it was, it was up for a debate. Like, okay, are we going to go back? And like, like the folks who were there originally, like you said, like, no, we were like, that has to come back because that was a commitment we made early. And these kids, they need to do this because they won't get to otherwise. Um, so like like you said, that'll that'll go past, you know, the folks that are there because they'll, they'll keep doing it. Yeah, super fun, real quick uh, anecdote. Um, when Mike and PJ and I wrote our book on student voice, 
we actually had every chapter ends with a student written piece from one of our schools. So we turned it over to some of our kids to write part of the book for us. And um, there's a young man who I think just graduated from college just last year. Now it's been that long, but he tells the story about how he went on one of those global service trips and the interactions he had with the kids at the orphanage actually changed the direction of what he wanted to major in in college. Like in terms of like levers I can pull from the superintendent's office, sometimes it doesn't feel like I can change much to, to hear a kid say back to me and write that for us, that the existence of this trip changed the trajectory of his, his life and career goals. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that, that is a, a ripple effect that, and who knows how, how to go after that? Like is the career he goes into, you know? Um, well, Nick, we're, we're so glad you came on. This has been great. Anna, do you have anything you want to add before we finish up? No, I truly just so grateful for your time. Where can the listeners find you if they want to go read your book, they want to follow you on social media or follow along with what your district's doing? What, what should the listeners do? I'm uh, on very easy, very active on Twitter. Um, I'm at N-P-O-L-Y-A-K, at N-Poliak. Um, you Google me or Mike or PJ, our most recent book is The Unfinished Leader. We're doing a lot of work around the country right now, working with um, school district leaders to help them understand that there's no such thing as the best version of ourselves. There's only the next version. We're all constantly unfinished, constantly iterating to the next version of ourselves. And so I, it's fun for me to get to go and work with folks as a teacher again uh, to talk about these concepts. So um, yeah, pretty easy to find out there. The Flywheel Effect, harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself.